I was seven years old. I was in first grade living in Texas at the time. I was at home and I was watching the news that morning before coming into work. My elementary school didn't want to announce it to all the students initially. So what they had us do was we all went to the gym and sat and played and kind of did our thing while most of the teachers were watching TV and then had our parents come pick us up and they wanted our parents to tell us what had gone on and what had happened because it was such a sensitive topic. I stopped getting ready for work and began to watch what was happening on the air and then I remember seeing the image of the plane hit the building, the first plane hit the building. Welcome to 41 Files. I'm Casey Murray. And I'm Katherine Finnerty. We're digital producers at KSHB 41 News. The events of 9-11 are etched in the memories of all those who lived through that day. Everyone who was alive will forever remember where they were and what they were doing when they first got the news about the terrorist attacks. The memories are still fresh 20 years later and can help us reflect on the impact on Kansas Cityans and how the community responded in the hours, days, weeks, and years after the attacks. While 9-11 directly impacted New York City, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania, the impact sent shockwaves across the country and the world. Despite that, older generations are now grappling with how to communicate the devastation of that day to younger generations who weren't alive to experience it. Days after the attacks 20 years ago, the United States entered Afghanistan. Now, with troops pulled out of the country and the consequences of their removal unclear, the legacy of 9-11 is increasingly complicated. Kansas Cityans lost family in the attacks, as well as in the war that has become the longest in our country's history. Over the course of this podcast series, we will speak to military personnel, teachers, students, and more to examine the continuing effects of the attacks. In this final episode, we'll focus on the field of trauma reporting and how journalism has changed since 9-11, and how our colleagues at KSHB 41 News, who are working during 9-11, remember the tragedy. When we sat down to plan out this podcast, Casey and I went through the station's archival footage from 9-11 for the first time. Going through all the videos, I just thought... What was trauma reporting like 20 years ago, and how has it changed? So we talked to the experts. Alana Newman is a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Tulsa. She works with the DART Center for Trauma and Journalism, a program out of Columbia University Journalism School that is dedicated to, quote, informed, innovative, and ethical news reporting on violence, conflict, and tragedy. In the months after September 11, 2001, Newman moved back to her home in New York City and ran the 9-11 office for the DART Center. Um, What I did for that office is we created resources about uh, trauma reporting, um, and we created events, uh, consulting. um, It didn't work, but we created a referral system for for journalists that were part of the firefighters and the police. Um, That didn't work as successfully. We trained newsrooms in best practice for self-care, and we had lots of events to talk about it and to um, help people find the resources they needed to do their reporting. Newman's job with the DART Center has been consistent throughout her past 20 years. Journalists come to her for advice when reporting on victims and survivors of traumatic experiences. 
So when journalists have ethical questions, they often come to me and say, hey, we have a survivor. We're worried about them. We want the story. How do we get? And I help them sort that out. We keep talking about the term trauma reporting, but what does it mean? We asked Newman how she defines trauma reporting. When I'm talking about trauma reporting, I'm talking about uh, reporting on topics that have to do with um, life threat or sexual violence or physical threat. Joe Healy, a BBC reporter and author of Trauma Reporting, a journalist's guide to covering sensitive stories, gave a similar answer. So trauma reporting really revolves around all the sorts of stories that we can find ourselves dealing with from um, you know, survivors of, of abuse, people who've been traumatically bereaved, from people who caught up in earthquakes, in floods, in natural disasters, in terrorist, terrorist attacks, uh, man-made disasters, shootings, and people who've, who are struggling with ill health, um, you know, rare conditions, people whose, whose children have been killed, children whose parents have been killed. Healy focuses more on the interviewee side of trauma reporting, and Newman specializes in PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. She did some of the first studies on PTSD in journalists. Newman says journalists can experience trauma in their role as witnesses. Journalists are professional witnesses, as I see it. And in the fields of trauma, in the field of psychology, in mental health, for police, for firefighters, there's always been a recognition that the impact of bearing witness on death and tragedy can have an impact on that person and affect both their personal life and their occupational health, their ability to do their jobs. And that has been less so um, recognized in the field of journalism. It's probably the last field. During 9-11, journalists were professional eyewitnesses to a traumatic event in the U.S., but journalists' mental health wasn't as talked about as it is today. This was a totally foreign concept uh, at the time of September 11th, um, and people just didn't get it. And I think what has changed substantially, um, particularly in the U.S. context, is um, there's still stigma, I think, for um, help-seeking. Um, but I think this concept of journalists being affected by the work they do and their ability to want to have conversations about it um, has, has, has changed totally. Healy agrees with Newman that there has been positive and substantial change when it comes to mental health awareness among journalists. But she hasn't seen as much change in the field of training journalists to interview vulnerable subjects. Where I come at this from is how we are interacting with the people who've who've suffered the, the terrible life event or trauma and who've chosen to talk to us, people who haven't chosen to be in the spotlight, clearly. Um, it's the last thing they would want to be and how we, how we work with them. And I think that that is um, less to the forefront. Young people who are the journalists of the future really want to learn about it. They are quite tuned in with ethics and feelings. But Healy says there has been improvement in newsrooms more openly discussing the ethics of trauma reporting. Even in the last 18 months, COVID has changed a lot. It's thrown sensitive reporting under the spotlight. My perception is that 20 years ago, I'd have been laughed out the newsroom if I'd suggested that we ought to have training in how to work with vulnerable interviewees. Casey and I have seen the change firsthand. 
we graduated from the Missouri School of Journalism, where trauma reporting is a semester-long class and ethical reporting discussions are part of every class. These conversations are happening, but Newman says most journalists are taught how to interview people in positions of power. Most journalists are taught how to talk to people who are in power. And uh, many of the practical tools that journalists use are for people who have power. And more and more, journalists are covering people who are disempowered, who've had terrible things happen. And some of the practical tools that you would use for a government official don't apply when you're talking to someone who's um, experienced trauma. So how should journalists approach trauma reporting? After interviewing survivors of trauma, Healy found six factors journalists should consider before their interviews. Honesty, acknowledgement, accuracy, consent, control, and compassion. In summary, be a human before worrying about deadlines. No matter how much you are up against it, how much pressure is being piled on you, never lose sight of your humanity in that fray. And when we balance being a human being with being a reporter, and by that I mean just doing a good job of telling their story, that's when we get really cracking journalism. Healy talked with a lot of senior journalists in her trauma reporting sessions, and she found that their stories were important for us younger journalists to hear. Um, But what I do find is once journalists in, in the sessions open up and talk about their experiences, their expertise, their observations, and So many have such a vast array of experience of covering these stories that it's invaluable to share that. And the one thing I would encourage is is more seasoned journalists to to actively share their experience and expertise with younger people who are coming into newsrooms um, to help them out. We're going to follow Healy's advice and talk to a journalist at KSHB 41 News who has been working at the station since 1997. Cynthia Newsom is a midday anchor and community relationship director for KSHB 41 News. She was getting ready for work and watching the news when she heard about the attack. I was at home and I was watching the news that morning before coming into work. And I I just couldn't believe what was going on. Um, it was surreal and I stopped. I stopped getting ready for work and began to watch what was happening on the air. And then I remember seeing the image of the plane hit the building, the first plane hit the building. Um, And I just couldn't imagine what was happening inside that building and the people that were trying to get out and why this was going on. It It was so confusing it was scary. I was just imagining and thinking about who might I know that was in that building or in New York or at risk or in danger at that time. And, you know, but most of all, I was just, I was shocked and sad. While the attack was across the country, Newsom was among those in Kansas City hit by the significance of the event. Finally, I've had to get up off the bed and stop watching the news. And I had it still on while I continued to get ready because the news part of me kicked in. And I thought, okay, I've got to get to work. I've got to get to work. And, you know, we got a, we've got a big news day ahead. 
there's going to be a lot happening. Um, this was a national story, and it was impacting so many people on so many levels. Newsom's voice played in previous podcast episodes from her original reporting of the event. She says there were some stories the station didn't tell. Associated Press wire copy that was very specific to the search for survivors and the search for bodies in the rubble. And that was really disturbing. It was disturbing. And some of the things that we read, we didn't say on the air uh, because it was just too gruesome to think about. Now, Newsom says tragic events happen frequently enough that news stations have a routine for covering traumatic events. Newsom says while journalists do coverage expertly, it's become a routine process. I mean, we know what needs to happen. Uh, reporters will be assigned. We'll make sure we cover all of the key elements. And then, and then we move on. And that's what's so odd is, is just what's the next thing. And it, doesn't, it may not be some big, giant, traumatic event. Maybe it's a, a fire or, you know, some other news event. But we can't lose sight of what has happened and the tremendous amount of loss and hurt and the depth of what's going on in people's lives. Newsom's main advice for journalists reporting on these events is to have empathy. I think it's about putting yourself in someone else's place, not thinking of yourself as the reporter on assignment, but you're part of what's happened. You're part of the the fabric of loss that has been experienced. So you're not a separate entity getting facts and information to preserve it for future generations and to make sure we have it on the television news at 5, 6, or 10. In the context of 9-11, that means remembering how grief and loss continue years later. What I think that we need to try to focus on now is those lives that are still impacted and the hurts that are still there, um, the great emotional pain that people are still experiencing, you know, you, 20 years, that doesn't mean that the people who lost loved ones are okay still. Newsom says she still feels honored to have told the stories of those impacted by the tragic event. She still feels the emotions associated with her coverage of 9-11. But you're also feeling it. And if you don't show that in your reporting, then you've, you've, um, you've buried it, and that's a concern. I think when, and I hope, when people listen to my stories that I did then, that they will sense the sensitivity, they will sense the heart, and they will sense um, how much I cared and was protective of the people that I was interviewing who had experienced that loss. And it was fresh, and it was raw, and it didn't make sense, and it changed their lives on so many levels. Um, And I really was honestly honored to be part of it. Thank you so much for listening to the final part of our special mini-series for the 20th anniversary of 
We want to thank everyone who agreed to be interviewed for this series, both in 2021 and 20 years ago. We were also honored to be a part of it. We have these people's stories and more online at KSHB.com.